Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. I'm sitting here in my Bridgeport fleece, which you can't see because it's an audio podcast. And if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I've talked to people from across the country, every level of government, from U.S. Senate all the way down to, though not down to, uh, Bridgeport Borough Council. And um, I have also talked with almost every person that represents me in government, from my senator to my lieutenant governor, state auditor, uh, county commissioner, state rep. But I have yet to talk to my state senator. That changes today. I am happy to talk with my state senator, Amanda Capaletti, and share her experiences in Harrisburg. So, Amanda, thank you for talking today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tony, for having me. I, I enjoy your podcast. I'm an avid listener. I really enjoy learning from other electeds all around the state on how they navigate uh, what seems to be a, a tumultuous time in politics. Yeah, I'm su- not not that I should be too surprised, but I was surprised to talk to like a state rep in Texas. He's like, oh, your state senator, Amanda Capaletti, he didn't even know that you were my state senator. Like, he wasn't just brown nosing me and being nice about it. He knew that you were working on some mental health issues. That's that's something you've probably not experienced before being in the Senate. No, this is uh, it, that was an incredibly wild experience to hear somebody that I have seemingly no connection to bring up my name and know the work that I've done. So speaking of names, people asked me to bring this up because you were a PA legislator. And I don't know if you noticed people talking about this on Twitter. Since you are a legislator in Harrisburg, um, how great has it been to name a lot of bridges this year? <laughs> You got a lot named. Did you get any good names? Did you get the pick sub? I would like for you to look at the bills that actually pass when it comes to naming and find out what counties and whose districts those are because I've attempted to name something and um, that has not gone through yet. I Can you name one Bridgie McBridgerson or something you like that? No, we could try that for Bridgeport. Find, uh, we'll find a bridge in Bridgeport and call it Bridgie McBridgerson. We do have a few bridges. I'm going to hold that. This is on the record now. <laughs> Um, so with that in mind, though, your, the experience and expectations of being in the Senate. Um, but first of all, I always ask people, did you all, were you always politically minded? Obviously this isn't your first elected office, but have you always kind of been in tune with it or any like past election or thing get you involved? So I can remember, and I know I had political arguments with friends. I grew up in, uh, a slightly more rural area than than Montgomery County. I grew up in Berks County, Pennsylvania. Um, a lot of cows, a lot of farms. Mm-hmm. And it is certainly uh, overwhelmingly ideologically different from me. So mm-hmm. I, friends and I, and I very specifically, it was dur- during, uh, specifically, it was during the Bush-Gore election, having arguments with my friends about that. But I think up to, until a certain point, I was just really focused on, you know, federal government issues, um, like so many Democrats, right? Like that's kind of the 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 um, the tag that we have is that Democrats vote in the big elections. We we worry about federal politics. We don't think enough about the local politics. And I was one of those for a real long time. And then I went to law school and started to see that you know state law really mm-hmm. impacts you a lot more than uh, your the federal law does. And that's where that's the interest started. When I moved into Montgomery County during law school, it was my second or my second year of law school. Uh, a local candidate knocked on my door and started talking about politics with me, what I thought were important issues locally, and asked me to join the local Dems. Unfortunately, at that time, I was a little too focused on law school. Didn't think I, when I'm done law school. Well, then the 2016 election happened and. 
I just knew I had to be involved. Mm -hmm. I, I had to do something. I was not okay with the way all of that transpired, the tone and tenor of all of it, and then obviously the outcome of that election. And that's really when I got involved. That's when I reached out to a friend who used to work for my state rep, um, Rep Matt Bradford, and I said, how do I get involved? And it just kind of snowballed from there and was asked to run for local office, and I've been involved ever since. Yeah, and I know Matt not too well, but he, I mean, he's great. He's very um, detail-oriented, right? Like, uh, he's yeah. got great staff. And so what I mean by that is, like, he knows what's going on in his communities, mm -hmm. knows about the details of legislation. Um, when you talk to him, what did, did you learn anything as a mentor or as, like, just understanding what this all means? Yes, that first conversation, he sat there and was like, what does it mean to get involved to you? Mm -hmm. That's what he said to me. He wanted to know what that looked like to me, and I didn't have an answer. Good. So he talked to me about all the different ways that you can be involved. And stereotypically, as a young woman, my response was, you know, something along the lines of being a good Democrat, doing the door knocking, mm -hmm. getting involved. I did not put myself up there to say, I want to run for office. I was very lucky, and I don't encourage anybody ever to take this path, but I was asked to run. And when I said no, because I did say no to running for local office at first, mm -hmm. they said, they, they came back and brought somebody in to talk to me that I trusted and talk kind of talk me into doing it and uh, pushed me into, it. not pushed me in a bad way, but pushed my way of thinking about things um, in, into, into saying yes and getting me to say yes, which is not normal. Well... You know, that's interesting to me from talking to a number of women, especially in politics, mm -hmm. who have to be asked a bunch of times, whereas men like myself, someone says, you should run for office. Like, Sounds great. I'll do it. Um, and Pennsylvania has not historically been great at electing women. But it seems like things might be getting better. We have what we call the Fab Four, four great congresswomen who I really love, um, Madeline Dean, our congresswoman, and uh, we have elected some great women to the state legislature. We have women in leadership in both parties now for the first time ever, That maybe before one or the other, but now both. Um, you, you, you're in the state senate, Lindsey Williams, Katie Muth, uh, Maria Collette, and others who are newer. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's some reason to be hopeful for that direction, or is there still... What do we need to do to improve that? That's a great question. We have to keep asking women. We mm -hmm. have to keep the conversation going because I can't speak for the Republican side of things, but I can say from the Democratic recruitment side of things, getting women to say yes to running for the state legislature is, is hard. It's really hard, especially if you're talking to somebody who is perhaps a parent mm -hmm. um, or a caregiver to, to a parent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have these very uh, dictated roles by society almost. And yes, we're breaking those things and we're starting to change what that looks like. But we're still kind of in the beginning of that where many women are still taking on all of those roles and all of that pressure of, um, you know, maybe it's uh, packing lunches. Maybe it's, like I said, taking care of someone, cleaning the house all of these additional pressures on top of a job and a job that's as, as uh, pressure driven as being a state legislator, mm -hmm. you could see why somebody might say no if they still have all of those other pressures in their life. It also seems like the uh, burden for entry in mm -hmm. uh, politics, and it's worse in other states in Pennsylvania in some mm -hmm. ways because they have part-time legislators with poor pay, mm -hmm. if any pay at all. Um, 
the, the kinds of jobs that women have, especially younger women like yourself, kind of make it harder for them to have the time beyond just those stereotypical mm-hmm. gender roles um, to run. Is there things that we can do about that or is that just the way it's got to be? So I actually heard somebody speaking the other day uh, on kind of this issue of the jobs women go for and then where we're typically found. One of the reasons this they suggested, it was a podcast that I listened to, that they suggested that some of the um, teacher shortages that are happening, the other labor shortages that are happening is because women like myself are no longer taking those traditional paths, those traditional mm-hmm. jobs like teaching, like uh, being caregivers, nurses, childcare facilities. And we're searching out uh, careers in the STEM area. Mm-hmm. We're searching out different places to go. So I, that's a really interesting piece that we're, we're concerned about and we should be concerned because there's still pay disparities that happen and gender, gender uh, pay gap that happens. But I, I think we're seeing this, we're in the middle of this shift that just makes it really hard to figure out, like, what do we do to retain people? We want them to have, um, you know, good paying jobs. We want them to run for office, but we also still need these things as well. And where do those burdens fall? So I don't know if there's anything very specific that we can do at this precise moment to get more women to run. But the more of us that are there, the more of us that are talking about it, the more the conversations change about what policies we need to be tackling to ensure that all Pennsylvanians or whatever state you live in um, has access to resources and support to be able to thrive. Mm -hmm. And I think it's incumbent maybe on people like myself in local government to be encouraging more women in leadership, especially if you have someone that wants to run, we just elected our first female mayor in Bridgeport. Very excited, Beth, and won by very few votes, which means that every voter contact made a difference. Um, but what kind of difference do you think it would make, it would make to have women as a majority in Harrisburg? Because one state in the country has a majority female legislature. So I'm going to use a story that um, was shared to me by Congresswomen um, Madeline Dean and Mary Gay Scanlon. They mm-hmm. both shared it separately with me that their conversations at the table change being down in Washington, D.C. with more women at the table. They're talking more about child care, family policies, paid leave, and figuring out ways to support uh, those those very specific initiatives and other things that really impact families and women. We're talking more about um, reproductive health care than we have ever before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's for a multitude of reasons, mm-hmm. given um, what's happening at the Supreme Court. But at the end of the day, we're, we're talking about it more. And people who are impacted are at the table talking about it. So if we had a majority in Harrisburg, we might be doing more for maternal mortality than just having a review committee put together you know, a, um, a document that talks about it and gives us the statistics. We might actually invest in the things that help to reduce mater- maternal mortality and morbidity, right? Mm-hmm. Because those are issues that are important to us. We might talk more and figure out a way, what does guaranteed paid leave look like? Mm-hmm. Because people need to be able to go to the doctors. They need to be able to get healthy before coming back to work or take care of a loved one that is not capable of taking care of themselves, whether it's a child or an adult in their life. Shouldn't matter that they have the time to take care of that person and ensure that they are then healthy and safe and can go back to whatever their life looks like. Yeah. And I've been talking to 
so many people think that it doesn't really even matter sometimes who runs because people vote for the party more than the candidate. I mean, sometimes. But it kind of shows why it's more than just, like, not all Democrats are the same. It doesn't mean they're bad or good either way, but, like, who you elect, they're going to bring different things to the table. Absolutely. Um, I think that that's a really salient point because, and I will use myself and Senator Maria Collette as two examples. There are plenty of lawyers in Harrisburg. Right. I also happen to be a lawyer, as does Senator Collette, but we have additional degrees on top of that mm -hmm. that bring unique perspectives to the things we're talking about. And you start to hear other people bring up those those terms and start to understand what they mean and talk about it on their, you know, floor speeches or anything else or the way we're talking about uh, legislation. I have my master's of public health. Mm -hmm. So when I am looking at a lot of these different pieces of legislation, like as the chair, the minority chair of Community Economic and Recreational Development Committee, all of the gambling things, casinos and stuff like that, all that legislation goes through my committee. Mm -hmm. The lens I bring to that is what's the public health impact of increasing gambling mm -hmm. or increasing accessibility to gambling. Senator Collette is also a nurse. She was a, I, I want to say an ICU nurse, a trauma nurse at one point, something like that, and then also a coordinated um, care as, as a nurse at long-term care facilities and ensuring people got like their flu shots mm -hmm. and things like that. Uh, so she had a very unique lens during the pandemic because she had done that type of coordination in the past as a, that was her career. That is what she did. So she brought, she brings a very different and unique perspective because she also has a nursing degree. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, these are things that we can bring to the table. We don't just need a bunch of lawyers who understand how, um, you know, the written law works, judges might th think about things. We have enough of those out there. Does it help? Certainly. It, it helps from my perspective having that degree, but it's not the only voice that should be there. Yeah, and that seems like the thing in every state that there are a lot of, because lawyers have both the time and the motivation to run. And again, being a lawyer in itself, not bad. Um, and realtors have the time and the motivation to run. Again, being a realtor in itself, not bad. But there's so many professions that are underrepresented mm -hmm. And government's not about a resume to be in. It should be representative. Absolutely. I will share this. My brother has, I, I joke, 15,000 degrees in computer something something. Mm -hmm. Very smart guy. I don't know what he does. But if it's technology related, we have, you know, conversations. He helps to educate me on all of it. And... We don't have people like him in Harrisburg. Like none, right? There's like I, very I, few people in any like state legislature or Congress yeah. who understand tech given even though the huge importance of it. Exactly. And I would love, and part of that is um, my, I, I can say those people definitively make more in the private sector mm -hmm. than they do, they would um, running for office in anywhere else. Doesn't really matter. Uh, and that is, you know, that that's a piece that people have to be willing to give up is that mm -hmm. private sector dollar that you're going to get from it to run for office. What do we offer to attract them there? Like, it's hard right. to think about that, but that's a voice we desperately need when you think about what's happening at the federal level with like Facebook and, and things like that. And then to think about even what's happening here in Pennsylvania when we're talking about broadband and developing rural broadband and data centers and things like that and really understanding what's the wave of the future versus what are, what's, what is the present slash past mm -hmm. because you know, in technology, if it's the present, it's also kind of the past. Right. Especially with how long it takes for that money to be allocated and then put together. So if you approved 
um, some sort of uh, rural internet, mm-hmm. by the time it's all implemented, it's 10 years later. Right, exactly. And, you know, you see those hearings in D.C. where they bring the head of Google or they bring someone else, Zuckerberg, and every almost every senator or congressperson just sounds very ignorant, even though they're probably very smart on 10 other issues. That's something they seem to ignore. It certainly is. And actually, that is something my brother and I discuss often, and I try to encourage him to get involved in politics as often as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's thought about it, and I don't know if he'll, if and when he will do it, but... Uh, I encourage him to do it because he gets very frustrated because it's very clear to him none of them have any grasp or real understanding on what these big tech companies actually do or even a basic understanding of mm-hmm. what it is that they're doing because uh, because of the questions that they're asking. And then you also then have staff that help prepare those questions that also don't have a basic understanding of what these businesses and what these these tech companies are really doing and what it means to our lives and how it all works. And it, those are huge questions. And especially if you're in a different state with a part-time legislature, you don't have the time or inclination to think about them. Exactly. And, you know, it's interesting you talk about your role in casinos because I brought up Nevada before. They have mm-hmm. a part-time legislature, and I'm sure they do have people who understand, but they understand from a business perspective probably. I imagine that before you, with your background, were there – it wasn't like someone else was thinking of that question. No one even thought about that health question with gambling before. Is that fair to say? Like, it just hadn't been brought up in a big, in a significant way. I that would be my best guess, honestly. I think there were a few senators who danced around the issue. Um, Senator Tomlinson, Tommy Tomlinson mm-hmm. from up in Bucks County. You know, he's got a lot of questions about it, and um, some of them are um, intertwined with the social determinants of health, which is my public health. You know, issue is when we're talking about this, we're talking about the social determinants of health, the environment it creates. Um, you're talking about addiction issues. Mm-hmm. You're talking about um, ec- the economic issues for people that come through that that get intertwined into all of this and that that overall impact. And he's he's brought those things up tangentially. Those are part of his concerns, but he never had the words right. or the um, yeah that that knowledge that knowledge or background to make those connections and draw it into this this overarching theme of public health and this is an important issue and um i mean the pandemic really brought public health to the forefront in these conversations and i think people are seeing when we're talking about almost any policy there is a public health argument to be made for all of them and this is how we make it for gambling and they're starting to see that how hard is it to make public health arguments now when on the other hand there are significant economic and personal issues beyond you know the pandemic, which are important, obviously is the most important issue, but you know, the, some people think that you almost shouldn't have a balance and that's on either side almost. Like some people think, look, yeah, people might get sick, but we just need to live life like 2019. Other people seem to be thinking, look, all, all that matters is public health and we can't get zero COVID. So how, how hard is it for you as a legislator and especially a minority legislator to find a balance where you can, or is it possible with the kind of people that are there right now? So I don't think it's possible okay. to find find a balance with a lot of what's happening in, um, I would just, in, in Harrisburg, in, in Washington, D.C., I, I think the balance is gone when it comes to mm-hmm. politics. Uh, it's just, we've we've um, gone to the, the polar opposites and the extremes, and that's just kind of where everybody is sitting right now. And there's no, the incentive to work together and to reach across the aisle is very minimal at this point. So making the public health arguments, I mean, it's there, you can see like Dr. Fauci 
continues to try and put this out there. If you um, read what some of the best public health experts in the world have to say, and I'm talking about people who come from, you know, the Hague or W the, and the World Health Organization. I'm talking about people that come from mm -hmm. John Hopkins, um, uh, Vanderbilt, uh, mailman up in uh, uh, New York at Columbia, like the top schools, the top places in the nation. Nobody there is really saying you know, shut, keep everything shut down all the time. That like that, that we haven't been right. Right. But that, that extremist point of view is, is, is certainly out there from, um, I, I guess the left or the progressive, like we need to shut this down. Everybody needs to be home. We need to figure this. And nobody is, I would say that that's not necessarily the point of view you're really hearing from the public health professionals, right. um, the public health experts. And that's really where I try and draw what I talk about and why I talk about it. And how I talk about like um, the pandemic or other issues is look at how the experts, the top of the top, because yes, I have my master's of public health. It is something I'm very passionate about, but mm -hmm. I am not, you know, the PhD running, you know, like I said, John, Johns Hopkins is, I believe the number one, the number one school in the nation for public health. So like, I'm not that person. Right. That's, that's not, I, I've you know, marginal expertise in. But you probably know more people. A lot of people in your, which in is Harrisburg. exactly which is why I'm drawing from these people who are saying, it's you, we don't necessarily need to shut everything down. These are the different steps we need to be taking. This is how we adjust to ensure mm -hmm. that we can continue for the economic feasibility of of our government, of our our structure, of our state, our country, the world, like all of those different levels, there are ways to draw draw this out and to do it and to do it right and to do it well. And we've seen it in some other countries actually. They did it right and they did it right well from the very beginning. I America and in my mind and in Pennsylvania as well because I I think Pennsylvania being a microcosm of America. Yeah, I think so too. Um we've kind of got lost in anything that supports the public good is socialism. Anything that supports the individual and an individual making their choice is America. And that's just simply not true. And yeah, you can't extricate those things in any way. I don't think. And right. it's frustrating. Um, but like you said, Pennsylvania is very much like America. We had even just people talk about Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, like, the Philadelphia suburbs are a certain kind of progressive. The Dem the Pittsburgh Democrats are a certain kind of Democrat. Like, there are every kind of political thing, including yes. really bad things, Absolutely. as you know. Um, how frustrating is it to you, knowing all this, and knowing that your colleagues in leadership on all sides know the information, they get the information, especially on vaccines and boosters. Like, I rushed and got mine ASAP. My, so did my family and my kids as soon as yep. we could. Um they know that, and yet the people who are pushing skepticism about it, pushing doubts, or you know, not helping on those issues, their constituents are the ones that are in the worst shape. How frustrating is that to you, just on like a human level? When you work, these are your coworkers. It is horrifying. It is horrifying that people would continue to doubt science in this way. We trust doctors mm -hmm. and nurses and the medical profession and public health professionals on all of these different levels to take care of us when we're sick or hurt. Why do we not trust them to know the right thing to help prevent us from getting sick or hurt? I can't wrap my mind around it. I don't understand it. It's horrifying on a very moral level, like from deep inside of me, it makes me so angry and so frustrated that 
Um, and then this this is no dig at you, Tony. These these old white guys running in that run Harrisburg because I'm not old is what you mean. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but these 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 guys that have been in Harrisburg that are entrenched in their politics and entrenched in Harrisburg and everything that happens there. And, and, and like I said, also for D.C., now everything I say, I'm, I'm saying I think can be applied to the federal level. It's all entrenched into like this one thing where they've got this huge amount of privilege, not just because they are straight white uh, cisgender men, mm-hmm. like Christian men on that. Like, that. Not that any of those one things are bad. No, right, right, none right. of this is bad, but there is a level of privilege that right. comes with all of that, that I 100%. as a straight white cisgender woman um, who was also raised Catholic, I, I was raised in the Christian faith. I'm not a practicing Christian anymore, but, um, you know, that th- there's a level of privilege I have and acknowledge, mm-hmm. but I use that privilege to support people and to make sure that we do what we need to, to take care of them and offer them the best policies that I can to make sure that they are happy, healthy, safe, and able to thrive. I'm not saying that this needs to be a nanny state, but there need to be policies in place that when people are struggling, we help them. And that's what a vaccination, like, that's what this vaccination thing is. And this is people who have all the privilege in the world standing up and saying, oh, you don't need your vaccination. Don't worry about it. Especially because, it, like, getting vaccinated is one of the yes. least intrusive things you can do. I can understand about, like, I don't want to stay home or miss this. Like, right or wrong, I can understand yeah. that. I can understand about, like, what kind of mask, like, that confusion or the, all that stuff. But, like, I got vaccinated and then I, I felt bad a day after. And then after that, I feel great. Yeah, it's it's so terribly frustrating because the people that they're serving, um, often you know, and and I don't know all of the stats, but there are definitively low, people with low income, um, that low ed- with low education attainment levels, like people that fall into this vulnerable category that look up to these politicians, these these men that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And look to them for guidance and advice and because they vote for them and they believe in their message. And these guys, they know. They know the right thing to do. And they're saying, don't do it. Don't listen to it. Don't be a sheep. And Or even just being quiet about it. I, yes. Don't, or even just being quiet. And so their populations are being hurt. And you're actually seeing, and I think it's been pointed out you know, all over social media, so I'm sure people know about this, but you're seeing that many of the, um, the, the figureheads are starting to change their tune on all of this because they're actually seeing that their base is being the one that's hurt the most because their base is listening to them and then they're not getting vaccinated and then they're not, many of them aren't surviving or maybe they're changing their mind on whether or not they trust, right. you know, these politicians or these figureheads. And again, at a very moral level for me, this is all, it, it's, it's horrifying because I don't care if you're a Republican, a Democrat, a socialist, a communist, like I, I want you to get vaccinated. I want to help develop the, a world where if you're struggling, you have support, but you're also able to be independent and thrive when you can. Right. Now, on the political level, because you are a politician now, like, the people who would get appointed to leadership get so because of the support of their party. And so the people who are in the Republican leadership, good or bad, have to get those people to say yes um, so-and-so should be the majority leader of our Senate, like, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, and whoever that would be, especially because next time, next mm-hmm. term, there'll be a different majority leader, no matter what, right. um, this current one is running for governor. And so there'll be someone new, no matter what. So actually, um, 
Senator Corman is president pro tem. We have a female okay. majority leader. Well, okay, we're but, but yes. anyway, I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, but my point is, there's going to be new yes, leadership. Absolutely. Um, and I, I knew that. Now I'm going to get a failing grade. And everyone's, no one's going to listen to my podcast anymore. Man, it's terrible. <laughs> I'm not going to edit this out, so I don't. Everyone knows what I'm like. Um, so, um, the, but the point is, they have to kowtow to that. Um, you. As a person of the minority, whether you are a Democrat or Republican, you want to be in the majority. Right. We have redistricting coming up. Based on the redistricting proposals that have come up, it's very possible that the state Senate could be like 26, 24, 25, 25. Who knows? It could be something bigger. but And then in the House, it could be very close as well. The people you would pass bipartisan legislation with are the people who are probably the most vulnerable, right? Because that's the reason they have the political will to work with you on a bipartisan basis. So what is your political incentive to help someone from the other party win if that could mean that you don't get to be chair and change that direction? That's really tough. I think at the end of the day, for me, the incentive is, is it a good policy? Is this something that if I get Senator so-and-so's name on it as well with me? Mm -hmm. um, it'd probably have to be the lead name because that's just how it works in Harrisburg. Uh, but if I can get um, somebody to sign one with me to, to push this legislation, is it good policy? Can it pass? Does it does it do the right thing? I as much as important as politics is in all of this, I think I'd rather see good policy get made right. than worry about who I'm making it with. And and that makes sense. Now, and you yes. just pointed out something that, and I think this is true in a lot of states, right? where the minority party only gets something passed if the majority party is the lead sponsor on it. It's very frustrating to you, as it, and it doesn't seem like good policy making regardless. Let's say you were in the majority. Why wouldn't you do the same? Like, like why would you give them a carrot? Or why would you give them... I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying, what's the benefit? So I would say there are enough of us young upstarts who are just really tired of how things have right. always run. Uh, that have put rule changes out there. So all of this is based on a set of rules that we put together at the very beginning of session mm -hmm. that we all have to vote on. Right. And I believe if you look, most of the rules that we voted on this session, the Democrats voted against, the Republicans voted for. Right. It's just always rigged in a way so that the majority party gets to control and make all kinds of decisions without having to worry about what the minority party says. And we happen to be the minority party, so we don't get a lot of say. I think there are enough of us young upstarts that are really tired of that game. Like whether mm -hmm. or not we have control, whether or not we have power, that just seems really silly and dumb. Mm -hmm. um, it it's not fair. It's not fair to the legislators who are, who are there and working. Hopefully, in a you know good faith, bipartisan faith, it, there are going to be plenty of things that come up that we all don't agree on. Sure, but there are a lot of things that a lot of us do agree on, like the bridges. Absolutely. Bridges every time. Every time. Um, but, I mean, community solar is like one of these things right. that there's a lot of, you know, bipartisan support for. There's bipartisan support for a couple of different proposals that are out there and doesn't move because of the way the rules are written and the majority party gets to decide these things. So those of us that are newer are tired of this and we are continuing to push and to talk about how these, these rules really stymie progress regardless of who's in charge because like 
let's be honest, Pennsylvania and, and is about as purple as it comes, right? right. It's never going to be a supermajority one way or the other without, without gerrymandering. And so it seems like what you would, what you're saying is that if you elected, especially younger people, and not just necessarily in age, but younger in the political process. Yes. So you could be in your fifties and be younger because you're newer to this, as opposed to being kind of stuck in that system. Certainly, Tim Senator Tim Carney is an excellent example of that. Right. Senator Carney is um, a few years older than me, we'll say, okay. and. <laughs> He is newer to this level of politics, and, and he was the uh, mayor of Swarthmore down in mm -hmm. um, Delaware County. But again, newer to all of this and doesn't really like this whole gamesmanship because there's always going to be Democrats. There's always going to be Republicans up there. We're always going to need to figure out what compromise looks like at different points. So I'd rather have us put in set in stone a set of rules that makes it fair for all of us. And if there's enough support for what I think is a bad proposal, but enough of my colleagues think it's a good proposal and it passes, well then, you know, that's, that's how it's going to go. It, right. But it shouldn't be stymied and stopped simply because whatever majority party happens to have control says, we don't want to deal with this. We don't want to look at that policy. That's not okay either. So if you, both Democrats and Republicans are kind of electing fresher faces and you don't have the reputation of 20 years or 30 years of, you know, sticking it to the other party, mm -hmm. then when they flip again, because you said it could go Democrat, Republican, yeah. Democrat, then they'll remember, well, Amanda and Tim and others, they didn't treat us poorly, so we're going to have a better relationship than mm -hmm. that kind of toxic atmosphere that lasted for a long time. That, and we've changed the rules so that pe more people have the ability to pass legislation. Mm -hmm. And when you set that standard of this is how we're going to run and we can see a more positive Pennsylvania out of running um, the Senate differently and in a more positive way, then I think that that's, you know, that's the new standard. And if you go back to the old way after doing that, well, what does that say about you? And, it, and then that might be even necessary if the state Senate is one party and the state House is another party, it becomes mm -hmm. even harder if you don't have some sort of give and take. Absolutely, which is kind of... Interesting because it's still harder. It's still hard, I would say, for um, for us to get legislation to, to move because there's a lot of backdoor you know deals that happen. You know, we pass this legislation for you. You pass. You have to pass this right. legislation for us. That's still happening, which is so interesting because I always thought that the House and Senate like caucuses like the democratic caucus in both the house and the senate would work together a lot more i can't speak for if the republicans do but it would from the outside and from my experience it doesn't seem like they work together necessarily either but they're on the same team and we're on the same team and we just don't do a lot of a whole lot of coordination which i i thought happened and it just it doesn't so mm -hmm. then you end up with these backdoor deals of trying to figure out which chamber moves what and you know it's you know, representative so-and-so mad at Senator so-and-so, so we're not moving the legislation. And that has happened where committee chairs don't move legislation from a Republican colleague in the other chamber simply because they're mad at them. Well, and I wanted to bring this up too, because I was thinking, in 2019, I got to talk to Congresswoman Dean on my podcast. It was before both of the impeachments. It was before the insurrection, but she was talking about that she worked on a bipartisan bill with this Republican from Pennsylvania, which almost all of them voted to overturn the elections even after mm -hmm. um, the violent insurrection happened. To me, as 
not just a person in politics, but just a human being, that seems like a no-go. Like, nope, I won't do that. You kind of have to, to some extent, right? How do you balance? Because I'm sure I know you a little bit. That's got a way on you. You don't want to, like, give them any cover. No. So there are, I will say. And again, we don't have to name any names. No, I'm not naming names. Uh, But there are a couple of, you know, a a couple of people on the other side that I just absolutely, the answer is no, will not work with. Right. I don't, I, I, I imagine they feel the same way about me. But, like. To say the same thing about you, and, and I know I'm biased, it's like, well, Amanda has certain beliefs that I don't agree with. Maybe. Not me, but like that yeah. But to say about some people, it's like, well, you attended an insurrection. It's like a whole different set of political division there. Yes. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I, I think that they have a very different and interesting perspective. I think there's also a level of misogyny that gets rolled into whether or not they would work with me. Yeah. Um, the kind of person that would do that probably has that already. In yeah, exactly. Uh, but the thing I continue to remind myself is, um, you know, I, I'm going to out my dad here. Sorry, dad. He's a Republican. So my, is my dad. <laughs> my mom, my mom's a Democrat. Um, I would put her, you know, more in the middle spectrum. I'm more to the left. She's mm-hmm. more, and my brother's an independent. Mm-hmm. And I've grown, like, I've grown up talking politics and finding a compromise and figuring these things out. And part of it is reminding yourself that, you know, you have different political ideologies. Absolutely. But they're human beings. Mm -hmm. I love my dad. There are things we're going to argue about. There's things we're going to agree on. Um, So there's got, like, I I, kind of keep reminding, like, I love dad. Dad's, you know, I love dad's family, members of dad's family that have, that fall into that same category, like, you can find something there where you guys can agree on. You can work on together something to, I, this sounds really childish, something to like mm-hmm. about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say part of what's happened is, and I don't know if you know this story uh, about me, Tony, but um, this past year in, in the span of two and a half months, I had two miscarriages. Right. And I put together legislation uh, with House members that would require three days paid, paid leave uh, for anybody who experiences any type of pregnancy loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually helped me make a connection with a couple of people that I had not made connections with because of their experiences. Mm-hmm. And they shared their experiences with me. And now there are people... Um, both in my own caucus as well as on the other side of the aisle that I didn't necessarily have a great connection with that I now have that connection with. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of it is not just remembering that like they're human beings, but finding that human connection because there's still a level of human connection that needs to be made. And then you can figure out how do we work together to make, to, to write good policy and support people. And by sharing my story, I was able to do that with a few people. And I, I remember when you shared your story and I have sadly known a couple people with that scene. We, we know some people mutually. Yeah. Um, you can make a lot of more connections through pain sometimes and through mm-hmm. ideas. Yeah. And, you know, I for me, if sharing my trauma and my pain uh, on the Senate floor or in a press conference, however I've, I've done it, and continue to do it, if that helps me pass legislation that supports people that have gone through it, if it helps me make connections to figure out how to pass other good pieces of legislation that like, you know, would be a positive for all of them. Then like, 
I'm, I'm glad I did it because that that's a win and that gives me my reason why. Right. And um, I think that, that a lot of that is missing in political discourse today is kind of that human connection and remembering that, like, for many of us, there are a lot of disagreements, political disagreements, uh, really hardcore beliefs. And for me, sometimes even morally, I look at people and go, right. where are your morals? But at the end of the day, finding that connection and being able to say, okay, we've got this. Here's this little bit of good. Now, how can we how can we turn that into doing something that's good for all of Pennsylvania? And so we don't miss doing it. What will that do? Like, not, not just that connection, but like, what will that legislation do? How will it help people? Oh, so my, my legislation. So it's, it's required uh, three days paid leave for anybody who experiences pregnancy loss, mm-hmm. which would include... Um, any kind of pregnancy. Yeah, so that it's, it's miscarriage, stillbirth, um, you know, a, a failed adoption, failed mm-hmm. um, uh, fertility treatments, mm-hmm. all of those. And then it's also, it's for both parents in that scenario wow, as great. well. Uh, because I can tell you, um, go, going in going through it, um, as I was physically going through it, having my husband available to me mm-hmm. was crucial. And the fact that he had the flexibility at his office to be able to be with me and not have to worry about getting to the office and and being able to stay with me through it and working from home and supporting me was immeasurable in terms of of getting through that physical uh, experience. And just being able to make sure that other people who go through this, because I've heard stories that um, employers deny requests for uh, paid time off medical mm-hmm. using medical leave to uh, grieve post right. uh, post uh, miscarriage because a miscarriage is not an appropriate use of medical leave even though there was a doctor's note to go along with it saying that this person needed it I, it's just one story and I've, I've got a lot of them so this legislation it's three days I'm not saying is necessarily enough but it's it's at least a start, and it seems that I've gotten, you know, there are quite a few people um, on the other side of the aisle that I've been surprised by. That That's wonderful. And it was your idea to make sure that husbands were included. Uh, it, it was a joint idea that actually came from a fe- – the idea came from federal legislation that would also provide the same. Well, so my point being that yes. I feel like as a dad myself, and hearing yeah. my mother-in-law talk about me versus other people who have been fathers in the family, let's just say um, – the role of fathers has thankfully changed in a positive direction and awareness of it. And sometimes it seems like it takes women to acknowledge that more than it takes a lot of men in politics to acknowledge that importance. Um, So that's something hopeful. It's going to be 2022 in a couple days. There's a lot of reason for the last few years to be very like bite down the fingernails, lose all your hair and everything. Do you have any reason? Do you feel any hopeful hopefulness for the year or a couple years ahead? Or what kind of things? What kind of things can we feel hopeful for, or should be energized by? I think we should be energized by uh, the twenty twenty two elections. Mm-hmm. I think that there is a lot of potential there, especially here in Pennsylvania, oh, where it's the it's, biggest state. <laughs> our governor, <laughs> the governorship is up. Right. Uh, we have a, a, a senatorial seat, a, a federal senatorial seat that's up. And Josh should do my podcast. I, the Attorney General, Josh Shapiro, who will be our next governor, uh, he should absolutely do the podcast. Okay. Just putting that on the record. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, but we have we have so many things. And one of the reasons I would say, I say please be energized by it is because we need these seats to go to the right people. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I say that because a Roe v. Wade is on the chopping block right now. Within possibly weeks. And the only reason Pennsylvania is not becoming the next Texas in terms of abortion rights mm -hmm. is because of who our governor is. So when we are out there thinking about 2022 and you're out there thinking about who you're going to vote for, realize that a lot of these rights that we have are protected at the state level that, you know, regardless of what, what happens with Roe v. Wade, Pennsylvanians can still have access to reproductive health care. They can have access to abortion depending on who our governor is. So we should be energized and we should be energized because we could also build a Congress that could help us build back better. Mm -hmm. And we need that. We, we, we need to stop this infighting that's happening because we are literally at 50-50 in the federal Senate. We need to fix that so that we can have the votes to build back better and really reinvest in Americans. And Pennsylvania is the state to do it because we got a very contentious Senate race. And to bring it all back to what's important here, Congress did pass an infrastructure bill, which means a lot more bridges yes. <laughs> that we can name all throughout the next few years. Um, just to close, I always like to ask, there's a lot of reasons for people to follow you. What's the best way to pe for people to follow and keep in touch and learn more? So on the political side, it's pretty easy. It's Amanda4PA mm -hmm. on all of the uh, social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And that's Amanda, F-O-R-P-A. Mm -hmm. And on the official side, which is a lot of fun as well, I have a great comms director. Uh, it is Sen, S-E-N, Capoletti. And it's the Italian Mississippi, so double all the consonants in there, and you'll find me. It'll pop up pretty pretty quick. Now, speaking of your comments, director, I did point out that some other legislators around the country are doing some really great TikToks and videos. I'm expecting a lot in 2022. Someone did, uh, like, uh, John Kane's doing great things, Senator Kane. Yes. Uh, Anna Eskimani in Florida. What some doing some great things from Sex in the City. So can we commit that we're going to do some really great videos? Not me. I'm not going to be involved. But, like, you're going to do some great parody videos can, in 2022. I can promise you that I'm going to throw her name out there. Sarah Kelly, my comms director, is biting at the chomp chomping block to get me on TikTok. We're just – she's coming up with a couple of cute, cool and creative ideas. So, yes, there will be a Sen Capaletti TikTok coming out in uh, 2022. Well, that's great. We've made some news at least. So thank you so much, Senator. If you're listening to this, I hope you'll pay attention to Senator Capaletti. She's my senator. Um, given how many people are running, maybe she'll be more people senator next year too. Who knows? Um, and if you're listening, maybe you should run for office too.